The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. I'm the host, Tommy Dreamer, and my first ever, I don't even have a co-host. But that's okay because I love professional wrestling, and we talked Bill Goldberg's return to SmackDown and the Bellas Hall of Fame announcement. Also... I had to go deep into my Rolodex and her first ever radio appearance, Beulah McGillicuddy from ECW Live. Also, my good friends from ECW, Little Guido Nunzio and Danny Doring, all on the Busted Open podcast. Listen to it now. SmackDown was, I thought, a very, very good show. As I said earlier, I thought it was a tale of two hours. Um... I really enjoyed the opening matchup with all the tag teams that uh, the New Day, uh, the Usos, Miz and Morrison, who have totally reignited the tag team division, and my good friend Dolph Ziggler, who's trying really his hardest to look like Vince Neil of Motley Crue, and good old grizzled Bobby Roode. And they had one hell of an opening matchup. To me, it could have been the main event. Um, when I watched that match, I, I said, you could to- so tell the difference between AEW and WWE in the tag team division because AEW has gone out of their way to make tag team wrestling special. And when I look at the WWE and I look at SmackDown, I say these athletes are all amazing. These tag teams are all main eventers. But yet the emphasis isn't ever on tag team wrestling, so it kind of gets lost. But if you look at the talent, the in-ring ability of all the wrestlers that were competing in that match, they're all main eventers, but it's like there was no super-duper, like AEW has that feel of, man, if you're the tag team champion, it means a lot. Or if you look at the match that the Lucha Bros had with Omega and Paige, it had that main event feel. And that match that we saw on SmackDown, awesome, awesome match. Those guys work so, so hard. It's just what WWE wants to make important is always the singles title. But their tag team division, if you talk about you know the Attitude Era, everyone will talk about this amazing era in wrestling. But the, the Dudleys, Edge Christian, the Hardys, the APA, they all helped make that attitude era so so special and i just wish tag team wrestling because if you look at that's just on 
on the SmackDown brand, plus you have Heavy Machinery, The Revival, uh, Nakamura, and either Cesaro or Sami Zayn. There are so many great tag teams that I feel they are the workhorses. They are the guys who pull the cart that leads you to WrestleMania. And, I mean, I'm such a big fan of the Usos. I'm a fan of everybody who was in that match. I thought the match was spectacular. And the energy in Phoenix was off the charts. And I wish that energy was able to stay. But that main event uh, in wrestling, or especially in ECW, we always had the formula. If you can't top the match that just happened, you didn't deserve to be in that spot. And though the matches flowed great, that first match really really sucked me in and the energy levels were so so high i loved it gabby any opinions i mean i thought smackdown was actually a solid show last night going into it i was actually upset that they weren't going to be promoting otis and bandy because i thought that that was the biggest storyline from last weekend with valentine's day and stuff like that so i had very low expectations going in but i was actually pleasantly surprised coming out of SmackDown last night. I mean, the Bellas was my favorite part, probably, of the entire um, two-hour show. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Obviously, Goldberg was very... It was a loaded show. Yeah, it was very loaded. And here's... my favorite. It reminded me of why we say competition helps fuel the industry. Yes. You you specifically spoke of Otis's segment when uh, his partner came to talk to what's her name again mandy mandy rose the people first booed when they saw her right and they started chanting otis's name that goes back to the attitude era where you were watching the big screen live and you were cheering and booing backstage segments yeah because for a long time, backstage segments have been getting very little responses do you remember i mean you were very very young when The Rock would just walk out and he would pause and he would raise that eyebrow and you would wait for if he was doing with something with Michael Cole or Jonathan Coachman, you were literally sitting at the edge of your seat waiting for this person to speak. This angle between uh, Mandy and Otis has people getting that reaction. And when, uh, what, is, uh, what is her? Sonia. Sonia. Now we're planting the seed here when they were talking about text messages and Sonia's starting to talk to her friend. Now you're planting the seed. Maybe this is because now she's also hyping up Dolph Ziggler. So now we don't know. It took another. And like I always say to people, especially with WWE and WWE does this great. They will bait you. And they will hook you because that's what's compelling television's about in little, little things. And if you see one thing one week, this took us a next chapter with this whole behind-the-scenes love affair between somebody we love and Otis. And we want to really see them together. It's a beauty and the beast, but now we have outside forces. You're the diva on divas, man. What you? What'd you think? I mean, everyone likes, loves Otis because of his relatability. It's Basically, that, that's what it comes down to. I think 99% of men watching have ever been in that boat where that's that girl that they want, that they never think they can get. So he's representing people that are like, we're going to get the girl this time. That's what's going to happen. So last week, when it didn't end up happening, I felt like, did you hear the reaction of people yeah. when 
Dolph sat down and Otis walked in and like threw down the flowers. I almost started crying for devastating. Him. But she gave her. But hang on, now she gave her explanation. She's like, I don't care. And I'm then not it was like, it. what text? So here's how I'm thinking this. No, she's. I'm. I'm, do- I'm done with her. Her friend was the one who sent the text to Dolph. Yes. Through uh, her phone. I think so too. Oh yeah. Sonia, and I think it's going to cause friction with you know Tucky. Tucker and Otis. Tucker didn't really like help him out. I think that's going to cause a little bit of friction. Sonya's very jealous because I think Sonya loves Mandy too. And like I told you, you, I mean, hell, Dolph Ziggler, good friend of mine, he's kind of the innocent bystander. He gets a text. He's not innocent. He gets a text from a girl. Hey, I'm at this restaurant. It's Valentine's Day. He's looking for love. He's a lost lover. Lame. That's uh, that's lies. And then he's looking to leave the building. It's like, hey, why don't you just jump in the car with me? Lies. That's he all he's trying to do. What Otis is doing? He stomped on his mother's fruitcake. But there was an he apology for care. that. It wasn't a real apology. Come on. And did you see the poor Otis? I love how they said I he's cried. not even here right now, oh. and then he's behind the thing, and his hair's all in front of his face. But the backstage reactions that uh, I, I noticed in AEW, I've noticed it now. Twice, especially on SmackDown, people are really, really into this. And that's the beauty of professional wrestling because you know what? It has nothing to do with professional wrestling. It's that behind-the-scenes stuff, but that's what used to hook you. Trust me, I was involved in the first ever, I guess, it resulted in a pregnancy uh, with uh, ECW. And everyone talks about the craziness, the wild, the chairs, the blood, the violence. But, you know, my feud with Raven which eventually led to the emergence of Beulah McGillicuddy. That was all soap opera stuff that, you know, was before its time. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the SiriusXM app. Beulah McGillicuddy, my God, how have you been? Outstanding. What is going on in your life? I heard you married like this really, really famous, super attractive male. Is this true? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, All it is. Right. Well, how? you know what? So many people ask me about you all the time. This is your first ever on-air interview. What the hell have you been doing since you left wrestling? Being a mom. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So you have kids, I hear. <laughs> yes. You have yes, two yes, yes. beautiful kids who look like your clones, the twin evaders of violence. Uh, well, not to violence, the twin evaders of perfection. How about that? They're giving me dirty looks, everybody. I am going to be in so much trouble after this interview. Um, you know, it's funny, Beulah, you were in the car circling this place because I won't pay for parking. Uh, <laughs> me and Gabby were talking about uh, life after wrestling. And you look at the Bellas. Um, how old were you when you left ECW? <clears throat> I think I was probably 28, somewhere around there. I'm not really sure. And you were in love with this guy who was totally a big jerk, I hear. Yeah. And uh, But you kind of <laughs> said, hey, you want to start a life, you want to start a family. and Well, I wanted to go back to college first and get my degree, which I did. Yeah. Did yeah. I pay for that? No, I got a scholarship. I paid for like a semester. You paid for one semester, and then I got a, a Pell Grant. They paid for the rest of it, and then I got a scholarship um, to go to Fordham from PepsiCo, which actually did not complete. Really? But you graduated. <clears throat> I did, yes. Nice. Uh, when I was talking about life after wrestling, it's hard. 
Um, it's hard, as you know, because you've seen it with a lot of our friends. It's hard to try to adapt in the real world because, one, as a celebrity, you're given, you know, a lot of carte blanche. A lot of, you're used to getting whatever you pretty much want. And then uh, in the real world, you have to kind of, I guess, earn it or not everyone does you favors uh, because you're not as famous as you used to be, correct? Well, I don't feel like I ever got to that level of fame where it was going to affect me and that I had to come down from that because I never went anywhere else besides ECW and I left before ECW finished. So right. when I left, I felt that there was other things out there that were going to suit me better. I mean, I loved wrestling and I loved the exhilaration of going out into the ring and having people chant your name and all those wonderful things that go along with it. And having that power to, to get those highs and lows from people with the, oh, and the, oh, you know, like those kind of reactions. That was amazing. And I had a hard time leaving that part of it, but I didn't have a hard time leaving the rest of it, which was the constant travel and the, you know, just the feeling bone weary sometimes. You didn't get that same reaction when I would come home off the road and like be like, <laughs> There's Tommy Dream. No, you wouldn't. She would throw things at me and just be like, get out of this house. She would get that more out of our, our English bulldogs that we would have. Than, uh, um, you created a lot of history, and I always say you've sold yourself short for the, um, I guess, contributions to the wrestling business. You're the first girl in the States to do a moonsault. Um, yeah. You versus Bill Alfonso was probably the most violent intergender match of all time where Bill Alfonso almost bled to death in the ring. Yeah, it really scared me. I really thought he was going to die. And uh, I'll never forget, too, when you came back, you just stunk of blood. It was worse when I stepped in the shower and the hot water hit my hair. After <laughs> all that blood dried in it, it was gross. Um, You also, you and... uh. Tommy Dreamer, who is me, um, were involved in the first ever wrestling uh, pregnancy angle, which was duplicated many, many times. And, you know, I said this earlier when you were circling the car, you weren't listening. Um, everyone talks about ECW uh, with the blood and the guts and the violence. But, man, we were we were storytelling. You know, our story was we went to summer camp with Raven. I was the cool guy, like I totally am now. And Raven and you were like the outcast. You were like the fat chick who didn't. Uh, I paid you no kind, so you like liked Raven. And then like you came back and you were super smoking hot. And then you wanted to extract your revenge on one Tommy Dreamer, and you did. You sprayed hairspray in my eyes like a jerk. He caused me to get super kicked. <laughs> it's been like and a twenty-six year plan. <laughs> I'm still working on it. <laughs> Got to talk about, I got to call John Cena and ask him that Bella agreement that he worked on because <laughs> I'm screwed in a couple of years. Um, do you remember when you sprayed me with the hairspray? I do. It sprayed back at me. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk about doing things on the fly, that was final. Net. Oh, Aquanet. That's what I was talking about, what Gabby's hair looks like, by the way. Gabby's a little hungover from her day, and her hair looks like she uh, has birds sleeping in it right it now. It does not. She looks so, fine. Uh, shut up. There's all these women. Thank God Guns is here. I'm surrounded. You got a haircut today, and you think that you're like an Adonis walking in here, okay? And he's I like, am oh. an Adonis. I haircut said, with the blade. Yeah, with right? the, blade. the blade. And I'm like, oh, Tom, did you get a haircut? He's like, wow, you noticed I got a haircut. I'm like, yeah, your hair's shorter. Like, don't be well, flattered by it. You got a haircut. He gets upset. 
upset when he comes home and nobody notices, notices. he gets a haircut. My I dad do is nothing va- vanity-wise for <laughs> You're me. like a girl. Yeah. Little Let's bit. talk about wrestling in ECW. Stop making fun of me, everybody. I'm the host. I will fire all of you. <laughs> I will Alex Metz every one of you. <laughs> um, so she pulls out the Aquanet. She goes to spray me in the eyes and... And what? You said it sprayed yourself. I know, a little bit. Spray, sprayed back at me. And then I got super kicked. We had an you're uh, integral part of the Dreamer Raven feud, which is most people's top feuds. I would say for me, it's like top three in wrestling. Um, I feel we there was the first ever uh, what is it LBG BT angle Q <laughs> in yes. wrestling, um, which was so it got us kicked off of every single station we were on you're welcome and uh i feel that yourself francine dawn marie were the pioneers of the women of ecw uh you and francine had the most famous cat fights i don't think any the best best cat fights guy and this was during where literally it was sex cells and you used to have to go out there rip each other's clothes off, fight. You know, you had bikini matches before it really was a bikini match. You wrestled Luna, who you were totally unprepared. You weren't really trained as a wrestler. Did Luna beat you up? No, Luna was awesome. Yeah. and uh, Luna took care of me a lot. She she was an awesome human being. I remember, too, when I had uh, broken my, my wrist and stuff in the ring and I had a um, cast up to my shoulder and we all flew over to japan she would do like everything for me curl my hair or anything she was awesome (laughs) i totally if you want to talk about uh toughness paying your dues beulah broke her arm punching bill alfonso in his head correct yep had to go to the hospital um except i kept i finished the match though all right, tough guy. Finish the match. I just want to say that. I didn't cry and leave the ring. She, she comes back and she's holding her arm. She has to go in the ambulance. And we're going to Japan that Wednesday. This was a Saturday night. She, You were living in Michigan at yeah. the time. And back in the day, you used to always have to fly from wherever to Detroit and then Detroit to Japan. She had a cast from her wrist all the way up to her shoulder in a complete... Like it looked like a, a sickle clothesline thing, and she had to fly um, from Detroit to Japan. Thirteen hours, <laughs> sitting next to the Sandman. He was awesome. <laughs> was he smoking? Because back then you could smoke. Uh, I don't remember if he was smoking or not. I just remember his stories sitting next to me and drinking the whole way and going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> but with a broken arm and a cast all the way up to her shoulder. You're a trooper for that one. That was a good one. Good times. Yeah, the best times. We I'd make you carry a hockey bag though. I I was nice. I was a gentleman for that one. We used to bring hockey bags full of t-shirts and uh so we could sell them and we would also like we had no visas. We would enter countries with everyone had to carry two hockey bags. It was like a prerequisite if you were going to Japan of ECW shirts so Paul would get the money and uh so I had to carry two hockey bags full of t-shirts oh there was so many there was over 100 and I think it was like 200 shirts we would stack <laughs> and then they would ask like when we go through customs they would say uh are you here wrestling I'd be like no 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 We're presents just visiting. presentos that's We're what just I was, visiting. yeah we decided to bring 200 uh t-shirts just in case we're here for 200 days um but yeah you and uh 
you and Francine especially uh, deserve, to me, Hall of Fame, if there is an ECW Hall of Fame, for uh, what you ladies did because it was tough. It was a tough crowd, the the chance you would get. And, and I always talk about, and what a lot of fans don't talk about is um, or don't remember the real parts of it. Um, one, if you could tell the story with uh, yourself and Bam Bam Bigelow. Remember when... Uh, Oh, no, it was Rob Van Dam. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Rob Van Dam, uh, who was he working with then? It was me. Hello. No, 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 no. Who was, was, ta- who was with him? I don't remember. Somebody. Oh, Bill Alfonso. It was Alfonso. Okay, I knew somebody was with him. Anyway, we were working that program, and um, the deal was is that he was supposed to pick me up and toss me over the top rope, and the whole FBI is supposed to catch me. So we'd done that, what, once or twice. I was terrified because I hate heights to begin with, but just to be tossed and not know where you're going to land was frightening. But I started to get used to it and very comfortable with it. And then one day he picked me up and he overshot and he threw me over the FBI's head and they're trying to catch me and I land on the concrete floor. (laughs) It wasn't concrete. It was a basketball court. No, No, that was concrete. Yeah, no, it was hard. I was just trying to make you feel better. I remember Tracy Smothers going, oh, my God, we killed Beulah, man. <laughs> so she goes splat on the floor. Cleo's and like, the, oh, my God, are you okay? And the people are like, oh. I mean, Robin, we literally <laughs> threw a woman and sh- from the ring, and this was over the guardrail. This wasn't it like was. in the guardrail. Into like the fans, everyone, and no, none of the fans try to catch her either. I know, they stepped back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, thanks. And she just goes splat. On the floor. EC-dub, EC-dub. I wasn't hurt, though. I know. Well, it's because you didn't panic, and not that you took the bump. It was just like you expected to be caught, <laughs> and you dove into the pool, and there was just no water there. Uh, or uh, I remember the time, and I've discussed this on the air, but we always have new listeners right here on Busted Open. Um, Sandman takes you. I go to the back. And Sandman takes you, and he puts you on his shoulder, and he's going to go to the merch table and sell his T-shirts, and he's trying to get over the guardrail. So then, instead of like, he was carrying her around like how Randy Savage carried Miss Elizabeth around, and then, but he's trying to get over the guardrail, and he doesn't. So then he switches her to like a Braun Strowman power slam position. (laughs) She's wearing a mini skirt with a thong (laughs) underwear, and as he steps over, he's also been drinking. He kind of starts to lose her, and like I see all the fans start smacking your bare butt. I was angry. And then they <clears throat> pull you down off of him. and Which isn't the first time that's happened, by the way. I know. I was going to get to that. And they're basically trying to sexually assault you uh, while you're laying on the ground. You're fighting, kicking. And back in ECW days, you would just hear, fight. The locker room would empty out. I remember like turning around. I was talking to you, and I you're not there. And then I just see it, and then like I just saw red. We come, I grab you, and I'll never forget uh, Mike Bonanski from the Boston office. He goes, a guy has a chair, and he's going to hit you or somebody with a chair, and Mike grabs it, and then he, he gets hit with the chair. I blast the guy. You, I grab you. Get up. I curse and yell at you. I know. Get in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and a fan is coming at me with a punch, and then Samu, in his uh, he wasn't no he barefoot 
super kicks this guy in his face like a shotgun. It was like, <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that was so cool. I scream at you, get in the effing back. And I toss you. I literally pick you up, toss you, and Big Dick's there. And Big Dick Dudley grabs you. like, Beulah, get in the back. And then here comes Bubba. And Bubba's like, get in the back. We're all screaming at her. She literally like is I getting- started it. Yeah. We're now just enraged, beating up an entire auditorium of people. And then, like, we come in the back, and it's all of us, and we're looking at it. And I'm like, why would you ever leave my side? I was like, Elizabeth never left. She wasn't with Hogan. She was with Savage. You don't go with Sandman. And she's in the back. Like, I don't even think you were crying. You were upset. I was like, this is what I get. Yeah, for being sexually assaulted and groped and kicked. And then she's got to go yelled at by her boyfriend at the time, Bubba, Big Dick, and Samu. Samu was the be- like the nicest one. He's like, are you okay? Meanwhile, he's like the Samu, the Samoan savage, oh. who literally kicked a man's face off. And like, I remember looking on the second balcony, and it looked like the end of a war like movie like all these <laughs> victims are laying on the ground and now we're like bro chairs we got to get all, yeah. there's no chairs standing anymore <laughs> we so got ridiculous. like we got to get in the ba- we got to get out of here the cops are coming we just beat up like 700 fans like people are like grabbing their kids and like their ECW t-shirts like i got beat up by Tommy Dreamer and the Dudleys a different time uh. we weren't sued by anything Thank God. And then uh, when I had you on my podcast, you told me a story. I don't even remember, and like I don't even know if I was there, where <clears throat> um, a fan grabbed you. No, I was with Raven still. This was before I went I block all that out. That's okay. Um, and I got too close to the guardrail, and a fan pulled me by my hair over the top of the guardrail and started kicking me. Yeah. It took – I didn't take – the security very long to get to me but still it was a lesson learned <laughs> don't go next to the guardrail don't get too close <laughs> um did he pull you over like your back was to the guardrail and just flip you or he, like uh so i had my back to the van he grabbed me by the back of my hair and peeled me over nice <clears throat> and then started kicking me well, so probably, fun good times you probably deserved it who's was he wrestling against me i couldn't say i don't remember that part well, must, must have, been, have been. Must have been the concussions that caused that. Uh, I don't remember that at all, and I'm going to try to find that on fan cam. Because yeah. we filmed all the shows. Where was that? It was right at the beginning. I mean, I had only been there like maybe three or four shows when that happened. Hmm. I don't remember that. Um, you leave ECW in a super-duper famous angle, and when we talk about every superhero has their kryptonite i had i guess you were every wrestler would try to say you were my they would get to you to cause me that pain because i could take whatever pain but you were like but you were you you were an ass kicker yourself but if anyone ever like went after beulah i would get distracted from what i was doing because i had to you know make sure beulah was okay Um, And again, some of our, you know, intergender wrestling, I don't even call it intergender anymore. It's just, you know, wrestling, but a man and woman tag and myself and you had some amazing matches with uh, Francine and Shane Douglas. Absolutely, yeah. And another person who gets so much heat was Shane Douglas and like so many times he would, you know, 
I'd have the match won. He would cheat, and then he would like belly to belly you and pin you, and he would act like he just won the Super Bowl because that's what a great heel does. Um, <clears throat> for for you being in that environment, because you know you get as you say, social media is such a crazy world. They will say um, intergender wrestling or man versus woman wrestling is domestic violence and, and all sorts of stuff. Do you have an opinion on any of that? <clears throat> well, we have a cough button if you want to press sorry. cough before. I get yelled at. I'm told I'm not a professional. I was more clear in my throat more than you. You're anything. going to speak. I'm just letting you know. There's people listen to this show. I apologize, people. Um, <laughs> so with respect to that, I do remember getting a lot of fan mail um, from young girls who came up in some awful situations that would say to me, you've given me the courage to fight back because... I didn't think it was possible. I don't think, because back then they didn't realize it was entertainment. And they would just say, you know, you're not afraid to stand up to men. You're not afraid to do all these things. And you've really helped me learn that that's possible, that I can stand up for myself. So, I don't know. It's sort of six of one, dozen of the other, half dozen of the other, whatever. Yeah, but they're saying we're promoting some people who are against it say that it's promotion of it, and I don't feel it's ever been that way. It's always shown, uh, you know, men and men and women in ECW, we were all equal. We were, you know, the women were part of the main events before it was made to be special that, you know, the, like last year the women main evented WrestleMania. You know, it was always, you know, it was Tommy Dreamer Beulah, um, or when you came Raven with Beulah, um, Shane Douglas with Francine, it was always everybody was a team. Everyone was on the equal playing field. And just like you said, like we never thought of like when I pile drove you, I was never oh I'm you know out there to um, hurt her because she's a woman. I'm just there out there because she's a, another wrestler, even though you weren't really a wrestler, but who was a girl who was always someone who was just always in my way, just like when Stevie Richards was in my way or the blue meanie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't feel it's ever been right misrepresentation when people say, or like, I don't think any man ever like enjoys <clears throat> now, like, you know, I would say sexually wrestling a woman, like groping them and doing stuff. It's, it's all like, it's a work. It's, it's not real. No one is really like when I was, doing things to you in the ring i wasn't like oh yeah this is great and you, know, you liked it you know it. no well i did kind of <laughs> marry you like but i feel like in the real world i don't believe any man should ever for any reason put his hands on a woman that she doesn't want correct in any way but in wrestling wrestling's different wrestling is entertainment it's the same as if you're watching a movie or you're watching a soap opera those things don't tend to happen in real life but they but make in for wrestling, an interesting we also story get accounted for it like it is real we could never do half the things we did back in the day uh now because of just everyone would come i just watched uh a promo you cut to just incredible and you say you want to like play with the big boys um you want to do that and now you're going to have to lay in the wet spot. And it was just something like that. And they'd be like, well, you're in trouble now, like if that promo aired. And it was a fabulous promo. Um, do you watch any wrestling now? Not really. Not 
I mean, I really don't have. I don't watch much TV at all. I'm you talk. You're looking at a girl who basically only watches HGTV now. <laughs> it's all fixer upper and <laughs> and all those kind of home shows. That's what I like. But and um, I don't really have an opportunity to watch much TV. I'm usually really busy. Really, what do you do? Read, write, take care of you, clean up your messes. <laughs> That's a that's a big job. You shut that should up be the number there, one Gabby. job that you're talking about. It is. Um, it's a huge you job. also wrote a children's book. Yes, I did. Tell me about it. I wrote a children's book called Gertrude the Great, and it's basically about a little girl who wants to be exactly like her older sister and be cool, but she's not doing the things that she wants to do because she doesn't want to look uncool. And um, one day she decides to go on her own and do her own thing. She ends up rescuing a little girl from drowning because her favorite thing is swimming. And she's recognized um, for being great the way she is. So that's hence Gertrude the Great. i got to put that up on my uh, website. I'm going to put that up on houseofhardcore.net. I'll be up there Monday, so you should check that out. It is a really, really good book, and you are very good at rhyming stuff. And it says a very important lesson uh, kids' books uh, in wrestle from wrestlers have uh, become quite uh, popular, um, and you were again a predecessor. Why are you making faces, girls? All right, you have no microphone time. My daughters are in here too. They just made fun of me for saying something. It's just I feel like I'm just like at home, except today I'm getting paid for it. Four girls um, against you right now, by the way. Shut up, Cabby. Not even around. looking this at is your you. life. Nice haircut, though. That's all that matters. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> You came back from uh, wrestling ECW One Night Stand. I dragged you back in, got an amazing reaction, and then you wrestled pretty much your last match, uh, ECW One Night Stand 2006. Me, Mick, me, Terry Funk, and you versus Edge. Uh, Mick Foley I did and two Lita. shows. I don't remember which order they the were. The first one was uh, just a run-in where you and Francine rolled oh, around. Yeah, yeah, me, yeah. And, uh, me and Sandman versus the Dudleys. Yep. Where I was Where your hair caught on fire. Was that the one where your hair see caught this, on fire? See how she's laughing. Ha-ha, <laughs> 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 when you were, your hair caught on fire? Ha-ha, <laughs> when you were on fire? There's a very, very famous photo out there that someone has of the two of us. I'm laying on the floor. I'm deaf. I'm on fire. I'm in covered in blood. And I was really enjoying, you know, the show. There's 2005 ECW One Night Stand. I wrote the whole show, and I really felt like this is how ECW should have been. And it gave me closure. And I was so, so happy. And I'm leaning back, and I'm like, man, this is great. And I'm beat up, but I'm happy. And I turn, and I look at her, and she goes, I could smell your skin burning. <laughs> and she says it with such disgust. And then, like, literally from that moment, we go in the back, and she's like, okay, I'm done, right? I have to go home, because the girls, it was the first time she ever left our, my daughters, and she was like, okay, bye. And, like, I'm not even getting, like, stitched up, nothing. She's like, I'm done, right? Okay, goodbye. Like, it was just so nothing, normal to her. But, like, that was all my sympathy. Like, I could so smell your skin burning. Like, ugh, you're so disgusting. <laughs> and then the next year, I uh, bring you back again. Uh, we have a hell of a match, and let me tell you, people, 
the one of the greatest spears. I know we're all talking about Edge, and we're all happy about Edge's return, though we don't know if he's coming back after what Randy Orton did to him. But Edge is, you know, one of the best baby faces, but he's also one of the greatest heels. And if you ever want to talk about one of Edge's greatest spears, go and look on the WWE Network, where he speared you out of your boots. Yes. And then he pinned you. <laughs> And a very, very uh, entertaining way to pin, but he was the rated R superstar, so we had to do that. The uh, funny story about that was uh, how you basically saved that match, because you're always thinking, tell us about what happened with Terry Funk. Terry Funk came out to the ring. He was supposed to, first of all, he was late yes. coming out to the Spirit ring. Spirit of 76. Well, he's old, he's crazy, he was bleeding. <laughs> He came out and he had one of those really long lighters that you light like a fireplace with. A barbecue, or, yep. <laughs> so it's super long. He comes out. I guess he had to fight his way out to the ring. And by the time he made it out, the thing had snapped and it was just swinging. Right? Well, when he went to get over the guardrail, he had it in his pants. And when he used it against, it snapped while he was going over the guardrail. So he gets in the ring and he pulls it out and it's just dangling there. It looked like a flaccid penis. <laughs> and I was, I and was he's panicking. Like, and he's going, it's my light. We're supposed to light Mick Foley's thing. And he's going, it's not working. It's Look at this. Look at this. Like we're having a normal conversation in the middle of a pay-per-view match. And he's going, what do I do? And good old Beulah. Started screaming to the fans, give me a lighter. <laughs> And we got a lighter, but that dangling, flaccid that was light. And he's that just, was he's my seriously like, favorite moment in look wrestling. at this. What, what is going on? How did this happen? And he's like trying to light it like a total like old man, like trying to like fix something and oh, it just wasn't happening. Was what was your first, favorite moment in wrestling? That was your second favorite? Favorite, favorite moment, but hands down was in the cart chasing down oh, Lupus, yeah. and he had the blow-up doll, and we right. were trying to run him down was... with a golf cart. And <laughs> you have, and Listen, attempt, hang on, hang on. I know you're all excited us. here. We are Raven versus Dreamer, and we're wrestling on a ba uh, football field, and it was in uh, New Jersey. Gabby, maybe you were at this show. And... I take the bleacher roll down the bleachers onto the high school track, and then Raven, mean, uh, Meanie, Stevie, this is when the BWO has just started turning babyface, they go get in a golf cart, and Raven's telling them to go get me, go get me. Raven's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm holding Raven. I DDT him on the, the, the track. I'm holding Raven, and Stevie and the Meanie have a golf cart, and they're holding out a stop sign. And then here they come. And they're going as fast as this golf cart can go. And Raven, last second, kicks me in the uh, – nuts me from behind. I let – he lets – I let go. And then I get a drive-by with like a 20-mile-an-hour stop sign on the thing. <laughs> so then I get pinned on the golf uh, – on the track, one, two, three. And Raven leaves. And he had, at that time, a sidekick named Lupus. And Lupus is jumping up and down, and Lupus had a blow-up doll. And so now Stevie, Meanie, Beulah all get in the cart, and they're like, let's get Lupus. So we jump in the cart, 
and Raven's running one way, Lupus is running the other. So Lupus, <laughs> like Raven leaves. So now we're gonna we're gonna run over Lupus in the middle of a, a field, uh, in front of all the fans at the football thing. Now Lupus, now you can tell your story. We, I mean, we're literally we're right on him. Like, where are we gonna go with this? Except we have to run this guy over. He's running. He's running. He's got the doll. He gives it a kiss and he tosses it under. The it gun. was I'm gonna get killed or my blow up doll. So he kissed the doll as we're really gonna run him over. And he's like, "What is weighing me down?" And it was this plastic blow up doll. And he lets go of it. And then so we run over the doll, and he, he was able to escape because he lost the love of his life. Oh my God, we it was ran awesome. over the doll. <laughs> Yeah, and we killed it. Everyone's chanting ECW. And then, like, we go to the back, and then Lupus comes, and he starts giving it CPR <laughs> and mouth-to-mouth. And that doll was, like, supposed to be, like, the fake Beulah. Oh but my he God, gave up Beulah. so awesome. See, look, you're back in wrestling, <sighs> and you're laughing. I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard. That was by far my favorite. Oh. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music, plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. Someone who has been by my side from ECW to the WWE to my very own House of Hardcore. He's been my commentator. He's been my friend. My He's been my traveling partner. Uh, Danny Doring, are you on the line? Yes, sir. Well, hello. How are well, you? hello, Thomas. <laughs> What's going on in the world of the dastardly one? Living the dream, baby. Got a nice Saturday off today. Relaxing. Got up. Got my coffee. Got my workout in. And now I'm on the phone with one of my besties. You look great. I saw a p- picture you posted on your uh, Twitter handle. It's at Sugar Mask. You're, uh, you're pretty jacked. 46 Training years old. Training for the big old. one, baby. Training for the big one. Got Disney next week. You going to Disney World? Yeah, taking a gig. I got to be in shape to, to, to walk the three kids around Disney, jumping from park to park and reservation to reservation. So but, uh, uh, earlier, uh, you know, when I first got this and I said, you know what, I got nobody, no co-hosts. So I was just like, I'm going to reach out to the nation, going to reach out to my friends, and uh, they're going to be there for me. And you're the first to say, absolutely, I'll be there. I'll uh, be doing interviews. And I kind of picked you for... Just like I picked uh, Beulah um, for kind of a success story outside of professional wrestling, because a lot of people, one, they forget what happens to people when they're not on uh, television. But then uh, it's hard to adapt to the real world, as you know. Um, but then wrestling also smartens you up to the real world. So uh, tell uh, tell the world your story. Well, I mean, you know, like like you said, it, you know, it's never, you know, life, anybody's facet of life, whatever they're doing, you're going to get knocked down. It's it's how you respond to that, not to sound like uh, a Rocky cliche or something, you know, but, uh, you know, I had to, I went through some dark times, like some of us do, and it was, you know, you got to pick yourself up. you got a family now to take care of, and, and um, you know, and since then I was able to, you know, as – February 2020, as I just celebrated my 46th birthday, I, I'm pretty excited because 
I look at where I am and I'm looking at maybe the best version of me. Um, you know, I got, uh, I got a good paying job. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I have, uh, get my wrestling career, you know, revitalized, um, you know, between house of hardcore and various, I mean, I'm, I'm literally turning down, not turning down bookings, but I literally haven't gotten to a lot of promoters. It's been a crazy, crazy 2019, 2020 has been crazy with wrestling. And on top of that, um, I also get to go back and do one of my other passions in football. And I'm proud to say I'm a vice president of a organization, Golden Saints, out of Port Reading, New Jersey. And I ventured into high school football coaching with an old football teammate of mine uh, in uh, St. Thomas Aquinas in Edison. So I'm coaching, I'm running organizations, I'm wrestling, I'm, I'm really enjoying like this part of my life, man. I can't say like every day I wake up, I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm a dad, all that stuff, man. It's been awesome. So, um, when I first met you, you were at the original house of hardcore training school and you were this quiet kid who we used to call QB Dan because you had, uh, dreams and aspirations of being a professional football player. And then you got sidetracked, just like I got sidetracked being a baseball player because of Dusty Rhodes. Who sidetracked you? Uh, the House of the uh, well, the House of ECW sidetracked me. Really, <laughs> um, I was football was was what I was doing. I was enjoying myself. I was playing semi pro ball for four years, and uh, I saw the House of Hardcore ad. Um, on TV, but as your previous guest, originally I wrote into, and everybody, this is a funny story that you know. And I was going to get to not. that, but okay, we'll do it now. Go. <laughs> Beulah's box. Uh, Beulah ran over a, uh, a mailbox, kind of like uh, Ashley Cartier from the old glow days. Uh, and I wrote in, try to become a professional wrestler. But as I always say, and I've said several times, Beulah's box wasn't open for me in 1995, 96. So, so I had to go with the House of Hardcore Hotline. The um, What Bob Backlund did to me, Bob Backlund shunned me. We all, I've, we've, I've said that story many times on the air. So Beulah used to have this segment on uh, ECW, and it was called Beulah's Box, and her box was always open for you, where fans would write to her P.O. box, which really wasn't hers, but... Um, hell, she debuted uh, Steve Austin, this some guy called Stone Cold. He uh, he was on her box, and it was also like an interview segment on television. So a young Danny Doring, a fourteen or fifteen year old Danny Doring, writes to Beulah's box, who she said every week at the end, "My box is always open for you," and uh, she did not answer that letter. So Danny, you no. know what? I make dreams happen. Would you like to ask Beulah this question right now on the air, Busted Open? Absolutely. Okay. So here we go. Let's go back in time. You're 15 years old. You're probably- I'm a little bit older. You're talking about 95. I think I just turned 20, actually. So a little older. Um, it was right before I started training, but I digress. Gabby, is Beulah's mic on? Hang on, Danny. All right. So Danny, Beulah McGillicuddy, Beulah McGillicuddy, Danny. <laughs> I know Danny. <laughs> so uh, Danny, ask away. Ask your question. So I got to ask. I mean, it's, you know, it's 20 some odd years later, 25, 26 years later. But Beulah, why wasn't your box open for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, because his original... Paul Heyman's was. <laughs> he was the one who got all the mail. <laughs> oh, 
Well, um, uh, I'm sorry, Danny. And your question was, you wanted to know how to get into professional wrestling or get into yeah. ECW, correct? Yes, yes, yes. I was watching the show late, and uh, I was like, you know, I it it I was kind of getting out of wrestling a little bit because I was doing so many other things, and I hadn't really watched much. And I started watching the show, and I was getting into it, and I was like, man, you know what? I always thought I could do it. I always wanted to do it. Uh, I just never knew there was an avenue to do it, and I was trying to figure out how to get in. And then that's right soon after that is when the House of Hardcore School opened up. So all things considered, all things forgiven, Beulah, I think it turned out all right. <laughs> I think it did, too. I, I And I am very happy that you were able to have so much success when you eventually did come into ECW. Before some vet just tried to stop you in your tracks, brother. <laughs> Typical. They favorite. always those those vets always try to hold you down. Not not, not so much, man. But uh, you know, it wasn't for people like you and Beulah and a lot of people there to help a lot of us young guys, man. A lot of us wouldn't have been anything. So I mean, you know, so many selfless people there. I can go on all day about that, though. Danny, uh, how we first connected was uh, tragic. Um, where I'll never forget it. Uh, if you could tell the story of you finished wrestling. And you get some horrible news. Yeah, um, it was House Party. Um, I remember it vividly. House Party 99, I believe. We were going to, uh, we wrestled Spike, me and Roadkill, in a handicap match, um, you know, which was really cool. Uh, excellent, you know, excellent thing to do. This Spike was your was ECW everybody. arena debut, correct? No, no. Okay. My, my arena debut was against Jerry Lynn, actually, 97. Um, this is a little bit later. I've already been doing some stuff, but, uh, we were, we, we were coming out to do a, they played the, um, the, um, public enemy music and everybody got excited. And then me and roadkill came out and everybody didn't really no pop at all. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so we wrestled spike who was killing everybody and spike did his big thing. And, uh, I get back and, uh, I check my messages and I got a, uh, phone call. And this is back when you had check your messages on your cell phone but on your phone at home for people who uh remember back to those prehistoric ages and um you know i got a message from a person i went to school with saying i'm so sorry for your loss and i was kind of nervous like what, what's happening i called home and my aunt answered and i knew something was wrong uh long story short uh, i came up to you i came up to uh you know there, there was a couple other people there everybody was in a in a in a, in a little uh, meeting and I said I got to get out of here. I got to go. You know I don't ever do this because at the time I was also on ring crew. Um, so I said I and I explained to you guys what was going on and then I had found out that um, my mother had passed away. So um, and I remember that and I, I remember like you crying and uh, I remember Paul and all of us like kind of just like quickly rallying behind you. This is during the show and something that stood by me and he was just like. Uh, you're our family now because you had to take care of your little brother and it was just you and him. And that cool. resonated me uh, in this guy is my family now. And uh, from there, like we became super duper tight and, you know, I do feel I am my brother's keeper and I do try to make life better when I'm around or for people and, you know, with loyalty, we've never betrayed each other. We've been friends ever since through good times and in bad. And uh, but like you said, you've bounced back from that and you had 
a great wrestling career. And even when you think you're not wrestling as much and you settle into the real world, you, uh, you know, now you're turning down people because you're being booked so much because of, I always thought you were super duper talented, beyond innovative in uh, all of your wrestling and stuff that you came up with in your finishes. You were you. you were the glue of you and Roadkill because you would put together the matches and all that stuff and be unselfish in letting Roadkill uh, get a lot of the shine because that's what you knew the fans at times wanted to see. Yep. So uh, can you also talk about the horror of going through House of Hardcore, original first school? Well, yeah. Um it, it was it was intimidating because you went there and the first I you know I, I I took two trains to get there because eventually my training was so tough I could not drive on a Long Island uh, expressway or the Belt Parkway anymore because my hands were trembling from training. So what I would do is I would take a train from New Jersey to Manhattan, from Manhattan all the way out the LIRR all the way out to Deer Park. Um, so it was like three and a half four hours just to get there to go to two or three hours of training where we do extensive warm-ups and, you know, uh, probably about half hour to 45 minutes of just warming up cardio, Hindu squats, um, all those kind of bench steppers to which we would learn one or two things, a hammerlock into a hammerlock reversal or wherever you're at. But we really didn't progress that much as far as that. So it was a true year, year and a half of training at the school. Uh, and then follow that up with, uh, more cardio and or shark bait, which was whoever was there, Taz, Saturn, Bubba, um, you, Guido, Cronus, whoever happened to be there, five, six guys on one side, and then we would get five minutes in the ring with each of you <laughs> if you guys were trying to blow us up. And then if we did a bad job of that, it would be more cardio on top of that. So I came out of the school about, a, I remember, 171 pounds. Like wow, it was, uh, I was, but I could go, man. I had some good, I had some good cardio at the time. I'll tell you that, but it was, it was rough. And then to take the train all the way back home, three and a half hours at night. A lot of times was, it was a rough, it was a rough couple of years, man, but I wouldn't change the way I did anything because I felt like anything that I got from there on, uh, we truly earned. So it was, uh, it was tough. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And it was the most rewarding thing that, you know, ever. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the Sirius XM app. Someone I've known since his very first match, someone who has provided me with more entertainment, should have his own reality show. Every wrestler that's ever met him loves my next guest from the FBI, the full-blooded Italian, Little Guido, or Nunzio, from the WWE Guido. How the hell are you? I am doing swell, and that is one hell of an introduction. Thank well, come much. on, man. I love you. I got my first ever show. I'm hosting it all by myself, and who do I go to? I go to my friends because I know my friends always have my back. Absolutely. And why are you by yourself today? Well, uh, we had a lot of issues going on. Mark Henry went to Saudi Arabia. Dave LaGreca's off today, and he's banned from the show because it affects his health. Ryan McKinnell, he had something wrong with his health. Um, Bully Ray uh, is still recovering from his lipoectomy that he had, and it was really, really hard. He had another flare-up from his cellulitis. So I'm here all by myself. 
But I got you. I got Beulah McGillicuddy in the house. I got the Twin Evaders. I got Gabby. I got guns. And most importantly, I got the nation listening. So that's all we need. That's all we need. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. It's my first time. I'm a virgin to this show, but I hear a lot about it. And uh, happy to be here. Do you have uh, XM radio? I do not. Because you, because you have to pay for it, and he won't he won't pay for it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, mean, I, got, I still got my ECW money, my man, and you know that. <laughs> Guido is uh, why I picked y- yourself, Danny uh, Beulah. It's kind of like uh, a success stories outside of wrestling, and like what I also said, where when you're out of the limelight, people sometimes forget about you, and. I've also discussed when you leave wrestling, it's hard. Um, but then surviving and succeeding in the real world is what n- real people have to do. And uh, you've had an awesome career. You're still out there wrestling every single weekend, more so now because when you want to, as opposed to having to. And a lot of you know wrestlers. Uh, don't go out and get real jobs and, you know, still trying to look for that next big payday that sometimes never comes. But you, my friend, even though you are so, so insane in my world, but in the normal world, you're somewhat normal. So uh, tell us what, like, your life after wrestling. Well, it's it's just like... Um... It's just like wrestling, you know, when you when you step aside, you know, you got to uh, be a different character. And then when I'm at my regular job, um, you know, I'm a different person. When I get in the ring, you just turn it on again, you know. Um, you know, I've been, I run the security company, as you know, and I also work with the courts. Um, like you said, I still do the wrestling. I still do the wrestling. And, uh, you know, it, it's just different. I think I was ready, kind of ready to step aside. You know, a few little injuries and stuff. Uh, definitely hard on the body every day. But I didn't want to leave at first, like anybody, you know. Um, uh, like I, I tell you, I watch uh, AEW and, and Impact and all that stuff, and there's a lot of young guys out there. And one day, you know, a, a good percent of them are going to have to to step away, and it's it's going to be hard. And and it, it was hard for me the first couple of years. And, and it's hard for anybody because you get that limelight, you get that, you know, that, that you know, little bit of fame. And uh, it's very enjoyable, and people treat you different and stuff. But, you know, it's amazing. Even in my building where I work, you know, people still remember you. You know, I still got people coming up when people, new hires come in and stuff. Not all the time, but there are people that remember my career, and I enjoy talking to people like that because uh, it kind of brings me back. Well, you've been an underdog your entire career. Um, how tall are you again? 5'7". And you were tops. What was your highest uh, weight? I would say uh, 190. I would say I'm about 165 now. You played uh, football for your high school, which you held, still holds a record, correct? Yeah. Yep. We were undefeated on Tidham, scored upon uh, 1989. Every game was on the road because they were ripping up our home turf. So every practice we had to get in a bus and go to Don Bosco, a half-hour drive uh, in a bus, and then come back. So not only we were undefeated on Tidham, scored upon, we did it all on the road. We didn't have no home games. No home practices. So, you know, that was a very special time in my life. Uh, as you know, I wrestled for my high school. I was captain of my wrestling team. And, um, you know, I've been I've been very lucky, and I still feel lucky to this day, you know. Absolutely. You also competed before it was known as UFC. You competed in UWFI. You trained under Billy Robinson. And uh, you had real fights in Japan. Yes. Yep, that was 
first time. Uh, that was a, that was a hell of an experience. And getting trained by Billy Robinson was another experience. And that was the first time I actually moved away from home. You know, I went for a tryout um, in Nashville, Tennessee. It was me and 15 other guys. And uh, that's the first time I un- understood what stretching was. And they, these guys had all of us screaming like little fucking bitches. But, uh, you know, and they, they took a liking to me. And I appreciate that they uh, they kept me. And then they uh, they end up training me and uh, sending me to Japan every month. And, you know, that was a great experience, especially being with Billy Robinson. Let's, uh, I know this is serious. Let's try to watch the F-bombs, crazy person. Um, then you do ECW. Well, this is radio. You already got me fine, so thanks for that. That's what friends are for, especially you. Um, you, uh, I remember your first ever match, Smithfield, Parsippany, New Jersey. I was there. And uh, you were... You were fat. You I, were two forty. Uh, I would say I was. Yeah, I was about two thirty-five, two forty. After uh, high school, you know, I was I was in good shape in high school, and then once I started, once I left there and started doing a little bit of partying and hanging out and uh, really enjoying life, and I blew up like a balloon, um, especially when I went to the wrestling school. And I ended up losing all that weight when you were there for this match too. Is when I broke my jaw. Absolutely. I was going to get to that. Uh, this is when Two Cold Scorpio was doing the first ever 450, and I was there. And to talk about toughness, Guido was uh, just basically putting this guy over, being an enhancement talent. The guy does the 450, doesn't rotate properly, and drops his knee right across your face. And I remember, this is on an indie show, um, it was for it was a TV show for the Savoldis, and I remember you spitting out all your teeth. You got pinned and just walked to the back, holding your jaw. And we didn't really—I knew you, but I didn't wasn't friends with you. And me and Taz kicked the guy out of the locker room, and for doing that to you. And so now, tell the story about what happened to your actual jaw. Yeah, so, um, yes, the guy's name was S.S. Uh, Powerhouse, and I believe he was trained by Jimmy Dale, and he was supposed to do a 450, which he ended up doing a, like a 132 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he landed flat on my face. I saw his knees coming. I just turned my head, and I just heard. He broke my jaw so bad, they had, to, they had to put metal plates. He didn't break my jaw. He shattered it. And to this day, in the corner of my chin, they told me it was going to take me 20 years. At first, I couldn't feel the whole bottom of my face. And it was numb for like they said, it's going to take about 20 years for it actually to come back. When it first happened, I was able to take a pin and I used to be able to stick it in my lower chin in certain areas. I would never be able to feel it. And to this day, I have very little, little numbness still. I have to like squeeze around for it, but I still have numbness to this day. And uh, I did hear the part where you guys uh, threw him out. That happened up in Monticello. Yeah, It was with uh, Aki Jones as well. And I remember getting they put me in an ambulance and they brought me to some hospital in Monticello, some small hick hospital. And they took one look at me and they're like, we can't help this guy here. He needs to go to a, 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 another hospital. And uh, I went in the ambulance and they took me to uh, Westchester Medical Center where they put me in emergency surgery. They didn't even wire me. They wired my jaw for one day, but it was so bad. They couldn't, it wasn't going to heal with wiring because they had to put plates in it. Because when he landed on my face, he didn't just break the bone. He shattered it. And knocked all my teeth out on the bottom, so I had to get some dental work. So that sidelined me for about uh, two years. And um, I remember my mother coming into the hospital, and she's like, you're going to stop doing this crap now, I told you. <laughs> and I looked her right in the face with a broken jaw, and I said, most likely not. And uh, 
when it healed, I just got on my horse and started going again. And you were basically having just protein shakes, so that's all you could drink, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was, even though it wasn't wired, I couldn't chew or anything like that. And I ended up dropping like 30-something pounds, 35 pounds. And then, um, and then I, you know, I found You got become the shredded Sicilian shooter that you became. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and and that was it, and that was it. I'll tell you, I some people post stuff online and stuff of when I was in ECW back in the day. Sometimes I look at the videos, I surprised myself. I was like, damn. Well, you're still in really, really good shape. Minus, uh, can you tell everybody when you wrestle for my house of hardcore, um, what are the rules that I make you uh, have? <laughs> well, first of all, when are you going to book me again? Because it has been a while. <laughs> but I, I can't do your next Philly show in April because I'm already booked. But yes, I like to have. Partaking a few a few beers before the show, nothing crazy. But Mr. Dreamer is the only guy that I uh, accept this from because any other promoter, I just wouldn't work for him if they told me that. So uh, I could have no alcoholic beverages before the matches. So it definitely puts a dent in my uh, my day. But uh, I respect him, and Tommy's helped me a lot through the years. And uh, just out of respect, I don't have any beers. Speaking of beers, when I get off this call, I'm going to be heading to my favorite restaurant bar. Can you tell me what that is, Mr. Dreamer? Uh, yeah, I don't remember. You can give them a free plug right there. Maybe I'll give you a free drink. Well, they don't need a, they don't need a plug. It's Hooters. Going to see some booze oh, and beer. You were banned from Hooters. I I thought you were talking about that local bar that you uh, used to hang out at. Or you still no, do. No, no. Guido was banned from Hooters, by the way. Guido used to work with me in the ECW office, and when he used to, his burps and his gas smelled disgusting and he would be bad from eating hooters if he i would tell him don't come into work on monday when we ran the ecw <laughs> office because i wanted that all out of his system um his other rule is he has to dye his hair before my shows because but the reason why he won't dye his hair because hair dye costs money and but for my shows he has to and he's like you already cost me like eight dollars just go to your show <laughs> Yes, I'm in the hole off the bat. I can't drink. I gotta dye my hair. <laughs> it's his revenge for you breaking our toilet seat. Oh yeah, he did. He broke our toilet seat Split on it news. In half. And then it tell us. <laughs> yes. I did not break the seat. You two guys still claim me that today. I did not break the seat. We had a Super Bowl party. He first of all, I don't care who you are, no one could out drink little Guido. He has he has Andre the Giant like proportions of <laughs> drinking stories, and we're at a Super Bowl party. He's like, oh, right before we go, he's like, let me go to the bathroom. <laughs> he goes to the bathroom. He leaves, gives us hugs, kisses, leaves, and then the Beulah comes out and she's like, did you use the bathroom? I was like, no. She goes, Guido broke our toilet. <laughs> And he just put the seat down and didn't tell us. Like, we wouldn't notice that our seat was completely broken. I don't know what he did in there, but then he just left like nothing was ever happened. And this well, is my I friend. I didn't think it did happen. That's why I didn't say anything. I would have told you if I thought it. Yeah, because you were hammered and you didn't remember. We love you anyway. Um, Everybody talks about... Um, the only Mick Foley seeing Jimmy Snuka's uh, dive off the top of the steel cage. Me, you, Bully Ray, Mick Foley were all at that same show as kids, which I always thought was pretty cool because we all made it to you know WWE and wrestled in Madison Square Garden, which is pretty much a great accomplishment. And uh, my other thing, which I always, which I don't think a lot of people know about you. 
me and you were the only two wrestlers to ever be at WrestleMania 1 and then wrestle at WrestleMania, but you had a much cooler experience with that. Yes, I had a cool experience because I was, I was at the first WrestleMania. My parent, my father brought me and my brother, and then 20 years later, I actually wrestled in WrestleMania 20 at Madison Square Garden, and my parents were there, of course, so it was a big deal. So that, that's actually pretty cool because my father used to bring me to the Garden every other month because if you remember, it used to be on MSG. Every, every, it used to be on TV one month, and then the next month it wasn't on TV, then the next one. So every time it wasn't on t- TV, my father would bring me to the Garden. So I basically used to go on Monday nights every other month. Um, but that was that's the cool experience of not even just wrestling in Madison Square Garden, which I did many a times, uh, just wrestling in Madison Square Garden for WrestleMania. So just being part of WrestleMania is, is huge to begin with, but doing it at Madison Square Garden is even bigger. Do you have um, a favorite career moment of yours? Uh, I mean, I, damn, I have a lot of a lot of favorites you know that's like everybody says what's your favorite match you know it's so hard to pick your favorite match you know i agree i just had a favorite moment that's why i mean it's not drinking i would say uh that's a good moment i would say winning the uh, i would say winning the cruiserweight title in rome italy which i might be going back in november by the way i just got a call they want to do something rome again because i won the title there this italian federation but i would say that i mean winning a title in anything is a great moment like wrestling in wrestlemania 20 is a career moment and i would say winning the cruiserweight title in in italy i would say that was uh, that was big for me um the problem was i won the title they started booking me on appearances in like malls and stuff and all these people are coming up to me hey Clayton, and then speaking italian to me and then once i don't know what the hell they're talking about they're looking at me <laughs> So I, I thought you were full-blooded. Yeah. yeah. No, they really did. They thought I was Italian. I am Italian, but I'm American Italian, but I don't speak the language. So when they want to come and hug me and, and, and talk Italian to me, you know, I couldn't communicate with them. So I told Johnny, I said, Johnny, you can't book me on these because people look at me. And then when I don't speak Italian, they look, I'm like, oh, don't speak Italian. <laughs> like, oh nope. I have a hard time communicating with you most of the times, too. Now, I tell everybody, you are the third craziest person I've ever met in professional wrestling. You know this. Um, All the other crazy people in the world. Paul Heyman is number one. I said in wrestling. Balls Mahoney is number two, and you're number three. Balls has passed away, so technically you're still the second second craziest person in wrestling. Well, I mean, I think Balls should keep his his, uh, title there. It's just because he passed away, you know. His legendary status. And if you want to know behind the scenes, I have traveled with Guido for every single uh, company that I ever worked for. In WWE, ECW, I roomed with Guido and Balls. And it was like, what I tell you, it was the greatest reality show. Guido and Balls used to fly together from New Jersey, and I would always get the rental car. I'd pick them up. And Guido would set Balls up all the time. Now, Balls was missing uh, his teeth. He only uh, had a few teeth left. And Guido would always carry um, uh, M&Ms, the peanut M&Ms. <laughs> and Balls, like later, he would like they'd be like drinking beers or whatever, and Guido would pull out, and it worked all the time. And he'd pull out the peanuts, and he'd be like, John, you want some... Uh, M&M's and Ball's like sure and he would pop them into his mouth and they would just start rolling off of his <laughs> they would nice. start rolling off of his mouth because he couldn't <laughs> chew the peanuts and then he would start getting so mad and Guido would just start laughing like 
And poor Balls <laughs> is trying to eat one M&M and like putting it on his one chomper and watching it. Man, I'm crying. Do you remember that? Absolutely. I should do it every weekend because he loved the peanut M&M. And then I would watch him try to gum him to death. And they would pop out like how your teeth popped out from what's his name? Uh, from when you got that 450. Balls would be spitting M&Ms out all over the place because his mouth couldn't hold them. Oh, man, I'm crying. Never got old. It never got old. I'll do it, and I would. And one time, a couple of times, I would forget to buy the peanuts. I'm like, damn, I forgot the peanuts. <laughs> but that was crazy. Also, the best side with balls. Balls had a uh, had a weird way of not really wanting to take a shower. So me and Dreamer would go. We'd get up and we'd go to the gym, and then we would come back. And balls would have his hair pulled back and and everything. Then we go in the shower. The the, the towels are all not used. The, the, everything's dry. We went, balls. You took a shower. Would you go? Yeah, I took a shower already. <laughs> So finally, we pulled him out. Of, never took a shower like balls. But he never he, smelled. No, he didn't really smell. He didn't really smell. But on my balls, you, how do you take a shower? There's three towels still. Everything is dry. The next time we came in, all the towels were gone. The fucking bathroom was soaking wet. I don't know if you remember that. And I still don't think he took a shower. I just think he freaking like wet everything and threw the towels out. <laughs> he had to show you. Yeah. Uh, also, for those of you who don't know, I just saw you posted this on uh, your Instagram account. Um, <laughs> uh, little Guido, who's five foot, what'd you say, six, seven? Five, seven. Let's go with five, seven. Okay, we'll go with that. Also has size 15 feet. If you ever go and watch any of his matches now, you will see these gigantic red boots that he still owns because he won't get new boots. Um, and they are just these giant red feet running. And a WWE ring was 20 by 20. And I remember every time I watch them, I would just see these giant, they remind me of Santa's boots because they're shiny red and just running at you. Uh, it's worse when you get kicked with them because he just lays his stuff in there. He's kicked me, he's hit me harder than any other wrestler besides Bully Ray. And like he'd be like, <laughs> every time he'd stiff me, not even sorry, Tom. That's like behind the scenes, he would apologize. One time I wrestled him on Halloween uh, and I dressed as Paul Heyman. And uh, we did a spot where we had apples, and this crazy person just, like, cuts me off, and he takes these apples, and he starts throwing at me as hard as he can. And every time he's hitting me, he's just laughing, hurting me. I just watched that match. Oh, I was pegging. You could actually hear the thumb. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> and when I went to hit you with the pumpkin, I actually slipped. <laughs> That's because you got apples all over the place from the water. He was throwing seriously. He was throwing these like baseballs at me, as, and I was like, "Ow, ow, ow!" <laughs> and he's just sitting That's there laughing. Watch that match, WWE Network, because <laughs> <laughs> we get all those residuals. Um, what else? So uh, you're still wrestling? Yeah, uh, actually, March I got every weekend booked in March, and uh, February was a little slow, but yeah, yeah, I take them. So, you know, the, the, the safe ones. I always try to be careful with that. That's why I don't book you in House of Hardcore as much, brother. You got to be crazy. You just got to go balls to the wall. Got to get uh, nuts. Yeah. For you, I do. I do a little. I, do a little I know little. you do. And Impact's coming. I'm already thinking of some spots for you. That would be nice. That would be nice. I like watching Impact. I like, um, I'm a fan of AEW. You know, a lot of guys, when they do leave wrestling, and it makes me laugh, they act like they never watch the shows. And like, oh, I don't watch that crap no more. It's in your blood. You, 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 every wrestler that's a wrestler does it because they love it. You know, so just because you're not doing it anymore, I don't understand why people try to act like they don't watch it anymore. 
You know, you got it's it's it was our careers. Like I enjoy AEW. I watch that show, and I'll tell you, some of these guys, the things that they're doing, it, it, it's like amazing. You know, and uh, and there's some great talents. And when I watch the young, I I know a lot of the young guys from the independents. And now it kind of reminds me of when we were in ECW before we had names coming off the independents. You know, the feeling that we got working in front of a crowd that's starting to know who you are. So like before you even come out when your music hits, like you know knows who's coming out and stuff. Right. So it's a great thing. And and when I watch AEW, you know, it, it kind of brings me back to, to to the old days before we were on TV and just starting to get on TV and then starting to learn how to work the cameras and starting to get recognized out in public and stuff and just the feeling that you have. Just hopefully one day, ninety percent of those guys understand. One day it's going to end, and you got to move on. Well, uh, you know, you did not go to college, correct? Correct. You started wrestling right after high school, and I I remember when you got let go, and um, I remember you telling me, like, you were literally sitting in a security booth making $10 an hour. And here you are wrestling at Madison Square Garden, and you were embarrassed, but you did something. You put your pride aside because you have a a wife and a son, and now you basically run that security firm because you worked your ass off just like you did in wrestling because you have a great work ethic, and now you pick and choose what indies you want. You have a very, very comfortable lifestyle because of your hard work. And like you said, you also like you're a court officer, which normally goes to police officers. But because of your work ethic, as well as getting recognized from wrestling, people knew you were would take this responsible. And, you know, now you're at the point like Danny Doring just said, he's at the best part of his life now. Um, I kind of feel you are the same way. You'll always work hard. We'll always, everybody will always, always worry about money, but you work super duper hard to get where you are and you don't take anything for granted. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like you said, you had to put your pride aside, you know, for the first year after I, uh, after I got let go, uh, I didn't do anything but wrestle, but since you were fresh off TV, you know, you were getting a lot of bookings and sooner or later, you know, it kind of dries up. You're not working as much, and, and even the independence is not paying the bills. And I did. I, you know, I, I, I took a job, and, and I still had money. I didn't want to spend my savings. And I took a job making $10 an hour, and believe me, I sat in that, that little booth from the construction site thinking about my life. And, you know, it got very depressing at times, you know, and, and it does. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here, you know? But if I didn't do that, like you just said, I met certain people along the way because I did that job. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So, you know, sometimes you got to take a few steps back to take a big leap forward, and uh, that's what I did. And I know for this on 100% uh, truth, he still wears the same gray pants that he wore during uh, WWE shows, <laughs> and he, I hate those pants, and one day I'm going to burn them, uh, probably when he's wearing them on his body because here he is. He's got a nice, cushy job. He's making six figures, and he still walks around in those same gray pants with that blue blazer. Ugh, I hate it. I know, but I love it. I, love it. I bought a few, uh, few things, but I still have pants. Don't get me wrong. I still have those pants. Uh, and now, actually, uh, I let my company buy my stuff. My oh, well, it's Actually, I got uh, my last negotiation with them included uh, close. Ooh, now you're a negotiator. Yeah, as long uh, as they don't have to pay your bar tab because you would, uh, they would lose. 
They may go out of business. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Gabby, do you have any calls that want to speak to uh, anybody here? I don't know what the the top one is saying. I can't read the comments. It's not on my thing. All right, not, well. Yeah, we won't take calls right now. We'll take calls a little bit later. All right. Well, Guido, where are you wrestling? Come on, talk to me. Um, tonight, I am not wrestling tonight. Tonight, I'm not wrestling. I got In, in March, I'm doing that um, in Queens. You know, uh, the, they have that big convention coming up in March. Uh, I got that. I got something in Albany. I got uh, Deer Park, Long Island in March. Uh, Pablo Marquez, remember him? <laughs> I do. Pablo uh, texts me all the time. Yes, I'm working for him uh, in Fort Lauderdale uh, coming up. And actually, Pablo is the one, when I finished with UWFI, uh, I haven't seen you in a while. I met you and, and Taz and all them uh, in for the Savoldis, and then I went to UWFI for a couple of years. When I came home from UWFI, when that company, I closed that company down, too. That company, I closed ECW down. You're the closer. Yeah. So when I came home, I went to Puerto Rico to work for Carlos Colon, uh, me and Special K. And I met Pablo Marquez there, and he's like, Damien, Damien. He's called me Damien Baby. He's like, he, he's like, oh, I'm working this thing called ECW, you know, Tommy Dreamer's there, Taz, blah, 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 blah. I said, oh, tell those guys I said hello, you know, whatever. So I seen Pablo back in Puerto Rico like a month later, and that's when he said, he goes, he goes oh, I told Taz and Dreamer, I don't know if you remember this. He's like, they told Dreamer said to give him a call. And he gave me your phone number, and then uh, I said, okay. So when we came back, I called you, and then you told me to come to Lost Battalion Hall and meet Paul Heyman. And I remember I went down to Lost Battalion Hall, and I, I went up to Paul, and I introduced myself, and he goes, I know who you are, because I didn't think he knew who I was. And uh, and that was it. And then I met him in Lost Battalion Hall, and then actually in that same building is where the FBI debuted uh, the same night the Dudley Boys debuted. Uh, well, Devon Dudley, anyway. And I came out, as, and JT announced me that I was his cousin. And then Devon hit the ring later on and beat the hell out of us with chairs. <laughs> Go watch it on the network. And I also That's remember, um, and you talk about people where life is, you know, you're at crossroads. Your father at the time, this is after ECW uh, went away, and you did not get picked up by WWE, and you had to go get a real job. And you had started working for Snapple, and it was your first day. I remember you saying, like, to me, I saw you on TV. That's cool. I just, you know, I started my first day at job. I hate it. And then later, the very next day or that day, Paul Heyman called you up and started you as Nunzio. Yes. Yeah. I got, I, my, my father got me a job. He was pretty high up in Snapple. That's where he retired to. And um, he got me a job with Snapple, and I was a sa doing salesman. And I remember I had, one time I was in a store, and I was packing the shelves. And I guess I didn't, I didn't know this because I, you know, I got a job because my father. He's supposed to put all the labels facing out. <laughs> and I guess the manager complained the way I stocked the shelves. My father called me up, and I was like 25 minutes away. He's like, oh, you got to go back there, blah, blah. I'm like, are you kidding me? I ain't going back there. He's like, you got to face the labels front. And I went back there, and I was so pissed off, and I turned the labels. So I hated that job. And then sure enough, um, like everything you said happened. And then I remember I was in a restaurant with uh, with Doreen. And the way this happened was all of a sudden my phone rings and I see it says Paul Lee. Now, Paul was honest with me. When it first closed down, he always said, I think he was trying to help me. But, you know, it was, there was a lot of guys that he was trying to help. And he always said to me, well, I'm going to get you a job. I'm going to get you a job. So after like a year and a half, I kind of gave up on it. 
when I, I was trying to reach out to him, and he was he was communicating with me through that year and a half, but nothing was happening, you know. So I remember when he called my phone. I was in a restaurant, so I go outside. I take the call. I answer the phone. I go, hello? He goes, congratulations. I go, Paul? He goes, congratulations. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I told you I'd get you a job. I said, you got me a job? He goes, yes. He goes, John Hire Nice will be calling you in a couple of weeks. Don't tell him I called you. He's going to... Uh, <laughs> He's gonna he's gonna call you. He's gonna uh, bring you down somewhere for for a tryout. He goes, uh, just be ready for the call. I was like, okay. He's like, I gotta go. See you later. Uh, and I go and say, I'm like, I don't know what just happened, but Paul Heyman is telling me I got a job with WWE. She's like, what? So sure enough, a couple weeks later, I was in a CVS taking an order, and I come back and uh, there's a message on my phone. It's from John Laronides. He's like, hey, this is John Laronides from Talent Relations. Can you please give me a call? I called him. And he booked me three weeks later for a tryout in Houston. It was uh, Houston and um, Dallas. And I remember getting a speeding ticket on I-10 going there. Come give me a ticket. I was doing like 90 on I-10. And sure enough, I went there. One night I worked with Funaki. And then the next night I actually worked with Johnny the Bull in two dark matches. And then uh, after my second match, uh, Jim Ross came up to me and he's like, John Laronites would like to talk to you in the office. And I went into his office, and he offered me a uh, 52000 a year guarantee uh, at that time. So I took it, of course. But that year I made like 200000 because, you know, you don't know how it works. When you're on the road, right. the guarantee is a guarantee. And as you know, you uh, you get paid by every day of your work. So you, you quadruple your guarantee. So, and... Uh, so- the rest is history, Guido. I got to uh, take a commercial break. I want to thank you for uh, being my friend. Thank you for being one of the craziest people in the world. I love you, and uh, thank you. We can follow you at where's your what's your social media? Guido under slash Nunzio. That would be underscore, not under slash. And always help him out. Yeah, find me on Twitter. Same thing. Just find him. Just yell for him on the social media, and he'll be there. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.